At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show back in our beautiful New York studios at 48th and 6th uh, in Midtown Manhattan. And you know you're listening around the country and around the world, especially in the Ukraine. We got uh, a lot to discuss today. On a side note, Secretary Austin is hosting um, oh, the Swedish defense minister today. Kind of interesting as NATO goes to expand. But what's different about this expansion, these two countries, Finland and Sweden, come in ready to go. They're already spending 2% on the defense. They got great economies. They've already been doing military exercises with NATO. So this is just good news all around. Uh, Before we get to Brett Baer and Rich Lowry, let's do the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They're going to get right into it with the evidence today. But, you know, the prosecution is proving a fairly simple case, and that is a false statement to the FBI. And I think the defense is going to have a hard time creating enough smokescreen to cover up that the fact that Sussman did make a false statement. Yep, uh, that is Matt Whitaker, former Attorney General, Durham in action, opening arguments, set the table against Michael Sussman and for Michael Sussman, and possibly leading to much more. We're going to look at both opening approaches coming your way. Number two. The crunchy granola types uh, who like to attend gender reveal parties. I mean, they're very, very woke. And they're just not focused on the issues that are worrying ordinary Americans right now. Senator John Kennedy, you knew that. Gas prices are over $4 in all 50 states. And speaking of all 50 states, they are all experiencing empty shelves where baby formula used to be. This is a legal storm our border. Three issues that affect every American will examine that, what's being done with that and what's not. Number one. If we count all the same day up, Oz has the lead. Then we count the mail up and McCormick leapfrogs him and takes the lead. And then deja vu all over again. You're talking about Donald Trump's backed candidate in Pennsylvania being overtaken after the election on the strength of mail-in ballots. Uh, slow down, Steve Kornacki. I only have three hours. Primary showdown, the most intriguing race, the Pennsylvania Senate race, is too close to call at this hour. We might get an answer in the middle of this show. I'll bring you the winners, losers, and to the Trump scorecard. But I'm going to do that with Brett Baer. You know Brett Baer, chief political anchor for Fox News, really good golfer, special report guy. You see him all over the channel, author of To Rescue the Republic. Brett, welcome back. Are you dressed for work yet? I am getting there. I had a little workout action and then uh, heading into the office. It was a late night, uh, early morning last night. Uh, Were you following the election or you just were partying? (laughs) <laughs> I was at the big board after uh, oh. Bill Hammer had passed the baton. I was uh, 
I was doing it for uh, Shannon's show and uh, moving forward. See, and I don't think it's a lack. Oz took over. Oh, yeah. See, I don't think it's a lack of dedication to you and your career. But I went to bed around Laura Ingram. And then when I saw the replay <laughs> of Hattie in the morning, I said, this is not going to help me. Uh, so you were able to keep it going all night long. Uh, when I went to bed, Oz had never been leading. That changed. What do, you, what do we expect today, Brett? Have they looked at the places that have not reported? Is this basically a statewide time to open up all the absentee, all the mail-in votes? So here's how it's going now. Right now, there it looks like there are some 22,000 votes left uh, to count in Lancaster County. And um, that was, you know, basically a split between McCormick and Oz. Um, in fact, Barnett did very well there. Uh, so how many votes McCormick picks up? Right now, Oz is up. I think it's 2,600. has been shifting a bit, but it's, it's roughly around that number. Uh, so the McCormick folks are looking to the mail-in ballots um, that have, in some counties, that have not been counted yet. Some counties chose to put those towards the end, focus on the day of ballots. If they had to count the mail-ins, they would do it later. I think there are about five, according to the officials that we've talked to, five counties. Um, is there enough there to turn it over? Yes, there is. Uh, but I think both teams are lawyer- lawyering up. Um, and maybe the Trump lawyers have a little bit more recent experience with dealing with this in Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, the Trump, yeah, the Trump lawyers, but I guess they would go with Oz because he got their endorsement. Sure. And McCormick is just, I mean, he's just got such a great background. Oz, obviously, we know about him. But, uh, Dave, I mean, McCormick, the military background, you know, he has actually combat experience, uh, trained with the Rangers, then became this very successful uh, financier who also worked at Treasury. So he's up 2,600. Uh, Barnett, uh, that, uh, according to Carl Rove, he believes that Barnett would take votes from Oz. Is that conventional wisdom? It is. Uh, and I think that that's, that's kind of where people were thinking. And, and going in, the McCormick folks, I think, looked at Barnett's rise as a positive because you were splitting uh, what is the loyal MAGA vote, whoever former President Trump endorsed, which was Mehmet Oz. Uh, there would be some people who broke away from Oz and voted for Barnett and giving an advantage to McCormick. It turns out that that is what happened. Uh, but Barnett's success uh, took Oz down, it looks like, uh, to about a tie, and Oz could still pull this out, actually, um, you know, in just, we're talking hundreds of votes. It's yeah. automatic recount at 0.5% or less in the Keystone State, uh, so they're, they're going to count them all again anyway. That doesn't mean another vote. That means just counting the votes that have already been cast. And you could say the most intriguing one, the most high-profile one we just talked about. But the ones that are really going to have special significance are the governor's races, because if uh, Roe v. Wade goes to the states, the governor will have a lot to do with what gets passed along with the legislature. And a big night for Doug Mastriano, people are going to be talking to because the president endorsed him. And he's somebody that was there at the rally. Uh, And if you look at the other channels, which I know you were too busy on air to do, but I was flipping around seeing they want to paint him as a January 6th insurrectionist who will will make it illegal to have an abortion. And that's uh, that'll up the stakes in in uh, Pennsylvania and also flip votes in Pennsylvania in 2024. So it's an extreme characterization already. Yeah, they're going to paint him as very extreme. I mean, there's some. 
some policies that he favors and talks about on the trail that, you know, fit that bill. Uh, you mentioned he, he marched on January 6th. That's not exclusionary, but uh, he talks about uh, the effort in Pennsylvania uh, to to get President Trump uh, to win that state, which never materialized. Uh, so he, he talks about that a lot on the campaign trail. And Democrats feel, after talking to him last night, that they're in a better position in Pennsylvania in a horrible Democratic year. Uh, to win the governor's seat. Uh, we'll see. I mean, anything can happen. On the flip side, you know, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman in that Senate race is the most progressive Bernie Sanders type uh, Democrat. This is the Senate race where they'll, he'll face either Oz or McCormick. And, you know, the conventional moderate Democrat in Pennsylvania really wanted Connor Lamb, the congressman. It was like built for his Senate run, even in a bad year. Now you're going to look at a guy who definitely identifies with the working man in Fetterman, uh, but has some policies that are abortion up until, you know, uh, delivery. Uh, there is, um, you know, all kinds of spending that he wants to pump more money into the system in an inflationary time. Uh, so Republicans are are in this environment pretty well positioned against Fetterman on the issues, whether they are in personality or the ability to get out the vote. We'll see. All right. A couple of things. So the president says he's got over 70 victories, only lost one. He lost another one in Idaho. Uh, Brad Little won the Republican nomination. He, uh, Trump was for the other guy. Uh, now you have I know next week's going to be big for another him. Woman. Uh, woman. Uh, I know next week's going to be big uh, for him because of Georgia. And, you know, Purdue is getting crushed right now by Brian Kemp. And there's a lot of people like the vice president pushing for Kemp, George Bush pushing for Kemp, uh, uh, Governor Christie campaigning with Kemp. But that's for next week. For this week, the president's on his Truth Social, which is his own uh, website, saying how well he's doing. I want you to hear what Newt Gingrich said and tell me if I could borrow uh, Joe Biden's word if this is hyperbole. Cut 10. There's no question that. Uh, whether you like Trump or dislike Trump as a matter of, of just history, no modern political leader has dominated his party outside of office on the scale that Trump has. Uh, and he has a following in the Republican Party. He's brought in an entire generation of people who were not Republicans six or seven years ago wow. who now are part of the Republican Party. Do, do you think that that is hyperbole or or is this something unprecedented? a former president having this type of influence? I think it's yet to be seen. I, I think his record right now um, is very, very strong. Uh, he's had some high-profile losses, um, but most of them are wins, and he is right. There are dozens and dozens of wins. I don't know if it's 70-plus, but it's he's, he's on the upside, um, and he has – definitely controlled the narrative in the party. That's 100 percent true. Uh, I think there's a difference here, Brian, between all Republicans saying they are you know, supportive of the former president and all Republicans saying they are supportive of the former president's policies. And walking that line between embracing everything about former President Trump and embracing his policies and what his administration did are two different things that candidates like Dave McCormick were trying to walk the line with. Yeah, I, I hear you. I'd like to get one other topic in, and it affects everybody, from gas prices to illegal immigration. It affects every all 50 states. But baby formula affects 2.7 million kids, they say, because 
Uh, the 40, this uh, baby formula in America is at 43% of where it should be. And when asked about that on Face the Nation, I'm not too, I'm, I'm not too convinced Pete Buttigieg was ready for it. Cut 13. Well, let's be very clear. This is a capitalist country. The government does not make baby formula, nor should it. Mm-hmm. Companies make formula. And one of those companies, a company which, by the way, seems to have 40% market share, messed up and is unable to confirm that a plant, a major plant, is safe and free of contamination. Okay, that is an oversimplification. That, that, that messed up. We knew about this in September. Confirmed whistleblowers came out. In February, it was a five-alarm fire, according to uh, some press reports. And now in May, it is a disaster. So even though it's free market, the FDA was not pressured. We don't know what's going on. There's only nine people in the entire department that handles things like, like these inspections. This seems to me is something that the administration can't walk away from, said it's not my problem. Impossible. They own it. And talking about it like that uh, doesn't help their cause. Action, figuring out how the nine people in charge of all of this, who screwed up, and fixing it, making it go away. Um, That's the charge. And, you know, if the talking point was they knew about it since February, well, that's a horrible talking point. You know, it would have been much better. We just found out about it a couple of weeks ago because what what, me, what that means is that the delay in action, in talking about it publicly, in, in really digging in and figuring out how to solve it uh, is a real stain on, on the administration. So when you're dealing with moms and families and baby formula, that is emotional and urgent and a crisis. And something that cuts through Democrat, Republican, independent. Uh, lastly, uh, it looks as though when you have Ukraine, they looks like they lost Mariupol. And there is concern that the Russians are starting to take just take over Kyrgyzstan and Mariupol and start making that land bridge. But for the most part, this has been a disastrous expedition for Vladimir Putin and his worst scenario. Two more member, member nations try to become members of NATO. Turkey could be standing in their way. Brett, is that a big deal? Is Turkey just looking to get some type of compensation? I mean, as a NATO nation, they've basically been doing a lot of anti-NATO things like using Russia's missile defense system, not ours. Where do, how does that get resolved? I think it's a major issue for the alliance. And uh, Turkey has always been kind of the uh, the tough child at the table. Uh, when it comes to NATO, uh, on how they they deal with their own governing, and Erdogan is not exactly a pillar of, you know, democracy. Uh, so I, I think it is a problem for the NATO alliance, especially if they are vocal, which he is starting to be about Sweden and Finland not getting in. Uh, I think that eventually they will get in, uh, but Turkey will be kicking and screaming. They're an ally of Russia. And I think that this is uh, international diplomacy at its finest. Um, we'll see if Turkey gets something out of it. And the last, the toughest question, and you could you could say you don't want to comment. I don't, I'll respect that. But Justin Thomas came out and says the PGA Championships in Oklahoma, the $19 for a beer is too much. He talked about the prices. Do you believe it's okay to gouge golf fans? No, that is heinous. Think about the dichotomy between Augusta National, where it costs like a dollar fifty for a beer, and 
you know, something like $2 for a pimento cheese sandwich. Um, they need to, some company, smart beer company, needs to fly in there and say, we're going to sell it for X, Y, and Z and just own the branding. Don't you think? Or, Brett, you and I stand outside and we sell beers to people before they go in and we tell them <laughs> how to stick it in their pants or into their uh, uh, into their uh, Scotty vest and hide That's them. That's good. It's like a beer lemonade stand with two fox guys. Right. I like and that. then it just shows we're entrepreneurs and we believe in the free market. I think there'll be a win-win <laughs> for both of us. Uh, totally. Brett, and, and, and media relations would love that. Right. We just won't tell them. They'll be surprised. We can't tell them everything. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Brett, thanks so much. See ya. And we do know love how media relations love surprises. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your phone call. I promise. one 408 It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It was a fascinating day of testimony, Jesse. One of the key highlights was an FBI cyber investigator who leads a team of cyber investigators said that they looked into the allegations that President Trump was secretly communicating with a Russian bank and thought the allegations made no sense. They were so far out of reach. He, his team punted and said, we're not opening an investigation into this. They kicked it over, and the FBI counterintelligence unit, which was at that time led by Peter Strzok, uh, picked it up and decided to move forward with the investigation. Now, the FBI agent that testified today did not say whether Peter Strzok was the one who decided to move it forward, but he was leading the unit that decided to move, it, move the investigation forward at that time. So opening arguments with the dorm report, keep your eye on this. I know no one cares about Michael Sussman, but you should care what he did. He lied and said, he's my buddy, Jim Baker. I'm coming down there. You're an FBI lawyer. I'm just concerned about this Trump relationship with this Russian bank. I'm coming down. He said it in a text. I'm coming down unaffiliated just as a concerned citizen in a text. And then when he asked the FBI, asked him uh, who you're with, uh, he said nobody. Lying to the FBI is a problem. Not only is it not an isolated incident, it leads to the whole story of an investigation because he already met with the New York Times, telling the New York Times about this link. It becomes a circular story where one's investigating, one's reporting. But the problem is there are no facts. And Sussman is at the nexus of this, right behind all of this. I will be covering all this and bringing it up to Rich Lowry next. I hope America really pays mind to this because it's truly important. Rich Lowry next, and then I follow with your phone calls, 1-866-408-7669.
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. When all the votes are tallied, I am confident we will win. Unfortunately, we're not going to have resolution tonight, but we can see the path ahead. We can see victory ahead. Mehmet Oz and Dave McCormick, they're thousands, uh, you know, just a few thousand votes apart. And there's uh, there's a lot more votes to count uh, today. Uh, big turnout yesterday in Pennsylvania and the most intriguing matchup. I thought J.D. Vance was intriguing in, in the governor's race next week. Those seats are fait accompli, but it'll be, there's a lot at stake. But this is by far the two most high profile candidates. So there's 22,000 votes left to count in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And we had a 2,600 vote advantage for Dr. Oz right now. Joining me now to talk about the implications, Rich Lowry. You know Rich Lowry, editor of National Review. Rich, welcome back. Hey, how's it going? Rich, biggest, uh, number one, I I guess if you look at this race, we kind of knew this was going to be close. Barnett had over 20%, which is significant for her, but she was up in the Trafalgar poll as second, McCormick third. What, What do you take away from this Senate race? I mean, this is just, you know, it's hard to get closer. Insiders were saying that the public polling was off and that it, it for some reason, didn't didn't have McCormick as strong as he was. That turned out to be right. Um, Oz, you know, gets a Trump endorsement, which might, you know, he, he might win here. I think he'd definitely rather be Oz at the moment. But he'd been banged up a lot on former statements that he said that kind of were socially liberal. So his image had already been dented before Trump came in. So it wasn't as decisive as, as it was with J.D. Vance. And then um, McCormick hung around, and we got a tie. You know, I don't think either of these guys are necessarily, you know, the, the best candidates in the world. Um, but, uh, you know, McCormick, more, more establishment, has kind of run a lackluster campaign. Oz, obviously a talented guy and a hugely talented uh, communicator with the, the hit show to prove it, but uh, has, has some baggage for conservatives. So it's a, it's a tight one. But do you think, Rich, in the general, that baggage hurts when you have Fetterman so extreme to the left? Does that help the winner? Um, Fetterman should be a, a good target. The problem with Fetterman, as you know, left wing, kind of Bernie Sanders politics, but he, he looks like a Neanderthal, you know, to, to put it in crude terms. He just he looks more like John Tester. You know, he looks like he should be a moderate. So it's, it, 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 he might be tough to run against in that respect. The thing that sort of surprised me in the, the primary, I thought more, you know, we heard some about this, more be made of Oz's Turkish citizenship, how he doesn't want to give it up. But um, Republican operatives said they pulled that uh, up and down, and it just didn't seem to hurt him at all. Um, and the things that hurt him in the Republican primary, these kind of past statements, you know, or having trans kids on a show or whatever it was, aren't going to hurt him in the general. So that that could be that that could be a tight race. The the gubernatorial race um, looks to be, you know, the Republicans look to have picked the the weakest possible general election candidate. Uh, but you know, it's going to be a very Republican year, and I don't discount anything happening anywhere on the map for Republicans. I'm I'm thrilled that Madison Cawthorn lost. I mean, what an embarrassment he's been. Yeah, you know, it's uh, too much fame. Plus, I mean, there was a wrenching profile of him in Politico a couple days ago. 
terrible accident, an accident anyone would suffer to, to recover from, and he's probably still dealing with trauma from that. And it was just you know embarrassing story after embarrassing story. And I think the, the voters there made the right choice. Chuck Edwards, a solid state senator, rock-ribbed conservative, cares about policies, not going to embarrass anyone. But you know, I wish Madison Cawthorn well. I hope he, he finds another way to contribute, and I trust he will. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I thought he had an opportunity, and I thought when he when he told the whole said Republicans were inviting him to orgies, he just seemed yeah, to be ridiculous. a little bit over the top. Uh, Doug yeah, Mastriano, no, and, that, and that that's what turned the whole party right. against him, basically. Right, uh, uh, Doug Mastriano. Uh, Mastriano, and uh, I don't and I don't get invited to those parties anymore, Brian. Right, so. a, a lot of people don't think that they exist, <laughs> so I wouldn't feel bad, Rich. Um, so, so what do you think of Mastriano? I, I just think the way they painted it is very interesting because it does have national feel because it's going to be Roe v. Wade. You make him governor, he's going to make abortion illegal. You make the Democrat governor, you're allowed, uh, you're going to allow abortions up to the ninth month. Um, and then there's a lot more to it there. And then also you have a guy that was present on January 6th. So that'll bring up yeah. that whole conversation. So how does you know, yeah, game so- plan that out? So obviously, I don't just I don't agree with anything he says about the the twenty the twenty twenty election, but you know, is a lot of profiles. Politico is pointing out this morning, kind of like Trump. You know, everyone said, "Oh, there's no way Trump's winning in sixteen. There's no way he's winning a state like Pennsylvania." But he had a, a base that was totally cemented to him, that was totally energized. So Mastriano will have that this year in what's going to be a big Republican year. But you know, he has a lot of baggage. There's going to be a lot of things to shoot at. And the national money is just going to pour in for the Democrat in that race. So I think you know, either the other uh, top three candidates would have been a better electoral choice. I do think he's a risky candidate, but I don't discount him possibly pulling it off. All right. Uh, the other thing is the things are so bad, it's not a nuanced thing when I tell you I can't get baby formula. It's not, oh, it's kind of affecting you the way gas prices are for the first time in history – all across the country, minimum four dollars a gallon. In in uh, in California, it's over six. So these things, and inflation is hitting everybody everywhere, along with supply chain. Whether you're a business owner or a shopper, so those are so strong. And if someone says January sixth, uh, Mastriano was there, I'm thinking to myself, yeah. well, who's going to lower the gas prices? Who's going to let me frack? Fetterman doesn't want to frack. Yeah. Fracking brought back Pennsylvania, Ohio. I mean, that is nuts. Yeah. So most people don't like what happened on January 6th, but it's also not something they're obsessed with and and, and constantly think about every single day. I don't know, about a week ago, I was flipping through the channels in in the morning, and you guys were on commercial break or something. So I settled on CNN for like five minutes, and they must have mentioned insurrection in January 6th like 30 times in five minutes. And so it's an obsession of a very small class of people. And and these these broader concerns you mentioned, you know, I've carefully reviewed the political science literature, Brian, and it says that a majority party that has a baby formula shortage on its watch <laughs> loses. You know, <laughs> it loses. And there's just no good way to spin that story. There's no good way to spin the gas prices or the inflation generally. And this is the overwhelming concern of voters. Nothing else, abortion or whatever it is, is going to matter as much. Rich, I, I want to bring you to the war, uh, Ukraine. And I do think this, uh, you're a guy that well, you grew up like I did about the Cold War, Soviet Union, and we watched the wall collapse. We thought we turned the page. We were totally wrong. Georgia, Crimea happens with Ukraine, and now we have this failed, uh, a failed takeover of a country. And now you have a situation where Russia is trying to consolidate whatever gains it has, and it could be significant if they take the region in which they have right now. 
Uh, the question is, is this the time for Republicans to start questioning the funding? Here's what uh, Senator Haggerty said. I certainly don't have anything against the Ukrainians. We want to see them win. But pumping more aid yeah. into that country when we're not taking care of our own, own country, the best thing that Biden could do is stop the war that he's waged on American industry. That would lower prices overall. That would take the funding away from Putin's war machine against Ukraine. It would make our economy do better here. Biden will not do that. Yeah. And other other Republican senators did not stop it, but uh, are starting to jump off the finance train. What would where do you stand? Well, one, per Haggerty's point, I just don't think it's an either or. You, you can have a rational energy policy here in the United States and, and enforce our border and do all sorts of other things while still providing aid to Ukraine. And the, the aid to Ukraine is obviously it's not for Ukraine to go and march on Moscow. It's just to defend its sovereign territory and to create the military of an adversary of the United States without the United States suffering any casualties or having anyone involved. So uh, I, I, I wish the war would go away. Um, I, I'd be fine with an unsatisfactory diplomatic settlement, but Putin is not interested in that. And uh, the Ukrainians have every every right to, to keep pushing the, the, the Russians out of their territory. So I know maybe $40 billion is too much, or maybe you know there should be better controls over it or whatever. But the idea that aiding Ukraine is a mistake, I, I just I don't buy it all. Well, I, I just think uh, Sweden and Finland possibly joining NATO and Turkey standing in its way, perhaps, that would be something that we have to deal with. But Turkey, but Finland and Sweden joining NATO is just a lose-lose for Vladimir Putin. These are two established economies who already spend on the defense, who have already uh, do military exercises with us. Rich, did you ever think you'd see that in your life? And the other subplot is Germany scrambling to get off Russian oil, gas, and coal? Yeah, so it just goes to how it's been a strategic debacle for Putin. These Scandinavian countries have, have always been neutral because they're so scared of you know provoking the beast to the east, and now they're just they're, they're they so, feel so threatened that that consideration is off the table, and they want to be part of NATO, and it will make the Baltic states more geographically defensible uh, when and if they come in. You know, there's this Turkish issue, which is which is a a, a big thing that's going to have to be massaged. But it just it just goes if the war in Ukraine stops tomorrow and Putin annexes all the territory he he holds, um, it will still be a, have been a debacle to him. You know his military would have been exposed as a bit of a sham, a massive material and uh, losses of men and loss of oil and gas revenue from from the West and the strengthening of NATO. It's 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 been a loser all around. I do think they got to push them back. Uh, they have to find a way to push him back and not give up territory because he'll claim it as a win. He could use uh, Chinese financing to make uh, to remedy the mistakes they made and legitimately build up their military. We might be having a chance again like this in a few years. Uh, we might have another. We might be worried about some some type of, uh, some other type of invasion. I want to bring it to the last thing: is the Durham uh, the Durham uh, investigation comes to the courtroom as Michael Sussman's charged with making false statements to the FBI, and both sides stake out their positions. We know that he had a text message that said, I'm coming representing myself. And now the defense is, everybody knows Michael Sussman's involved with the DNC and Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton. For people listening right now, Rich, I get this a lot. Why should they pay attention to this? Well, it's part of uh, one of the the most heinous, dirty tricks in American 
political history to get the Russian hoax going and get an FBI and then a special counsel investigation going that hampered uh, the Trump administration for years and deranged our politics around this question. So it's a big deal. The the, the thing, though, as Andy McCarthy, uh, your colleague of mine, has pointed out, it's cut, there's this Durham has this this big theory about what happened, but then this is a relatively small bore case, you know. So he's not going to be able to go and prosecute Hillary Clinton. He's only going to be able to prosecute a few people that committed relatively minor crimes, like like the one here. So there, there's kind of disparity there, and the judge. I was going to try to narrow them down to just focusing on Sussman and the lies rather than the bigger theory. But it seems pretty black and white that that Sussman misrepresented himself. But this could just be the first, right? You have other indictments and you could start putting this puzzle together one by one. Yeah, I think that the puzzle, putting the puzzle together ultimately will be in a, a big report. And again, you know, the people, most of the people part of this, it wasn't a crime. <laughs> you know, it was uh, um, a, a horribly unethical thing, but it wasn't a violation of a statute anywhere. So all you can do is kind of hold them accountable and then be uh, hi- hyper aware in, in the future and try to keep this from happening again. What's amazing is today's the five-year mark of the Mueller investigation, and now CNN and NBC had their programming for the next four years. It literally led their programming, and with these revelations, the New York Times, how many copies they sold, how many awards were won under an investigation that never should have happened. Maybe yeah, that's, and, that, and that's none, of them, none of them have gone back and said, I'm sorry. You know, I, was, I got it wrong. I was overly suspicious for these legitimate reasons. But it turns out that that I, I got it. I was an error. You know, none of them have gone back and done that. They haven't. Uh, Rich, I feel like we covered good ground. We made America a better place just now. You feel the same way? Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, this inflation is, is on, on, it's going to wane. You know, this, this country is back on track <laughs> thanks to this 10-minute segment. Right. That's a little overstatement. And, and maybe, but... I'll score, maybe I'll score one of those invitations to a Cokefield party in Washington, too. Right, um, which was also an orgy. You can't choose. <laughs> that is what Madison – they don't exist. Madison Cawthorn's head, it existed. He is now out of a job. Thanks so much, Rich. Appreciate it. Hey, and thanks, Brian. Another reason to pick week. up the Nash Review. When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Within our show, we're probably going to get some updated results uh, as we begin to get more and more ballot counting from Oz and McCormick as we try to find out who is going to – if Trump's going to be a winner, too, uh, in because Trump picked Oz in Pennsylvania. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's very important to note that while, of course, we are preparing for the end of Title 42, based on the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's decision that it will end on May 23rd, that does not mean that the border is open beginning on May 23rd. We continue to enforce the laws of this country. You do not... He's such a clown. That is Mayorkas at the border, running around with his clipboard, pretending like the border's shut. Last month, April, all-time high, highest in history, 234,000 people come through. It is estimated if Title even with, they're not even enforcing this title like they should. But even if this uh, uh, Title 42 is uh, allowed to evaporate, uh, if it's gone, 18,000 people a day. Do you believe this? It's other countries are coming here. 
Norma listening online in Connecticut. Hey, Norma. So just a quick question. Can can Turkey keep uh, Finland and Sweden yeah. from entering the the EU? Yeah. Does one country you believe that? get a veto power and that's it? Yeah. Do you believe that? I mean, they think about that. They all have to agree. Yeah, they all have to agree. And that's enough. I, I say kick Turkey out. I mean, what, Turkey doesn't belong in it anyway. They, they are a horrible country. They are great people led by a horrible person in Erdogan who jails journalists or has them killed, kills his opposition, and now is upset because Sweden evidently is friendly with the Kurds. And by the way, so are we. So Russia isn't. They back them up on this, and they know that Russia abhors the idea of Finland and Sweden joining. Russia is rushing their uh, nuclear weapons and some type of missile rocket launchers right to the border. Good luck with that. And I think Finland is showing that they are not afraid of Russia, but they're concerned about their own security because they don't want to have one uh, Finn hurt uh, when a Russia invasion happens, if indeed it does. Now, there's nothing, there's no country on earth least capable of invading another nation than Russia. Because you see they have their head handed to them. They lost a third of their fighting force in Ukraine. And Ukraine is beating them with only armament from NATO. Now... Once they come in, and hopefully the the applications filed yesterday, I would love to see this thing done in June and okayed by the uh, the U.S. Senate and House, the U.S. Senate, uh, by August. That would be just great. They are concerned about the interim. Thanks for the call, Norma. They are concerned about the interim, that they think the Russians will attack before they're officially, if they were to do that, before they're officially part of NATO, making everyone wonder, you know, do we have to go to protect them? My My sense is... There's going to be interim agreement, uh, agreement going in, and there's no way they're capable of doing it. But it just shows you what folly it was for Russia to go in with a fighting force that wasn't capable of having success. Why were they the last to know? And by the way, it also shows you, too, as much as you claim to drill and much power that you have and as much technology you may have possessed or, or, um, or stolen, you have to actually practice you have to practice going to war. And that's one thing that China's taken away from this reportedly. They have not had a conflict since 1979. And it's easier to defend than it is to conquer. To keep that in mind with Taiwan and China. Brian Kilmeade Show, so glad you're here. Don't forget our Saturday show, 8 o'clock, One Nation on Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine. Uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, Daniel Bilek, former chief investment advisor, the prime minister of Ukraine and head of Ukraine's Invest. He's trying to make sure people do not forget he's fighting. The Ukrainians are fighting for everyone, and I don't forget. We'll do a simulcast on uh, with Stuart Varney and FBN. That's always fun. And Brad Raffensperger is standing by. He wants to retain his spot as Georgia's secretary of state in a tight race. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. They're going to get right into it with the evidence today, but, you know, the prosecution is proving a 
fairly simple case, and that is a false statement to the FBI. And I think the defense is going to have a hard time creating enough smokescreen to cover up that the fact that Sussman did make a false statement. Yeah, that is Matt Whitaker, former AG, talking about John Durham. The finally, finally, these cases are in action. Mike Sussman opening arguments on the table as Sussman tries to show that the FBI had to know I was working for Hillary Clinton campaign, even though there's a text to Jim Baker saying, you know, I'm coming as a citizen about uh, making up some type of alleged ties between Alpha Bank and uh, the Trump organization. Number two, the crunchy granola types uh, who like to attend gender reveal parties. I mean, they're very, very woke. And they're just not focused on the issues that are worrying ordinary Americans right now. Uh, John Kennedy. John Kennedy making it clear. Gas prices over $4 in 50 states. And speaking of 50 states... Every state is experiencing empty shells where baby formula used to be. This is a legal storm our border. Three issues that affect every American. We'll examine what's being done and what is not. Number one. If we count all the same day up, Oz has the lead. Then we count the mail up and McCormick leapfrogs him and takes the lead. And then deja vu all over again. You're talking about Donald Trump's backed candidate in Pennsylvania being overtaken after the election on the strength of mail-in ballots. Well, that uh, that is uh, Steve Kornacki talking about the primary showdown, the most intriguing race, the Pennsylvania Senate race. Still too close to call between McCormick and Oz. I'll bring you the latest winners and losers, maybe within this broadcast and the Trump scorecard. Well, if Donald Trump had his way, Brad Raffensperger would not be the Georgia Secretary of State. Therefore, he handpicked Jody Heist to run against him. It's a tight race as we get set to focus on Georgia next. Uh, so far, the turnout has been unbelievably high, despite the mislabeling of Georgia's uh, amended election laws of something that's supposed to uh, is supposed to exclude many, uh, you know, large, large swaths of people. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, Brad Raffensperger, welcome back. Hi, Brian. Brad, did you expect this hard of a race? Well, I'm, I wanted to talk about, really about SB 202. You have to remember when we passed the Election Integrity Act, President Biden came down to Georgia. They told everyone how they did so good up north. And yet, meanwhile, in Georgia, we added a day of early voting. We have record turnout. And President Biden's home state of Delaware has 10 days of early voting. We have 17 days. And right now, so far, we're at 540,000 people have voted earlier, have had their absentee ballots accepted. We're going to see probably over 750,000 people vote before Election Day next week. So we're having record turnout. And it's just tremendous to see that President Biden was just flat dead wrong about Georgia's Election Integrity Act of 20, uh, 2021. Not only was he wrong, I thought he did the obscene thing of calling it Jim Crow 2.0. And assume that anybody who has to do had anything to do with this is racist, back to se- or segregationist. I mean, think about it and well, how insulting and inflammatory that is. Exactly, and then the Department of Justice has joined together with nine other of these left wing activist groups, so they're, they're just piggybacking on the DOJ's unlimited financial resources. They're attacking us on. You know, solid common sense election reform. We have now have photo ID for absentee voting, something they've been using in Minnesota for over 10 years now. No one's ever sued them, but they're suing us on that. And it's photo ID. That, that way it enhances security. And by doing that, you elevate confidence. And that's one of the reasons that voters are coming out. They're very confident that their votes will be counted and, you know, they want to be engaged in the process. And so, you know, this is just a win-win day for Georgia. 
So right now, the breakdown's got over 237,000 Republicans. Uh, yeah, 237,000 Republicans already voted, 176,000. Democrats already voted, and about 3,000 nonpartisan people have voted. So far, you say, according to the numbers coming out of your office, you're seeing a 217% increase in the same time, in, uh, uh, the same time of early voting in 2018 and 155% increase at the same time of early voting in 2020 primary elections. That's pretty significant. It's absolutely significant. We've been increasing our percentages of the population that are voting here in Georgia, and so we're seeing strong turnout. And so everything that was alleged about uh, SB202, the Election Integrity Act of 2021, was absolutely false. But we've been pushing against these narratives since 2018. Stacey Abrams, she lost by 55,000 votes, still hasn't conceded. She's up in Virginia back in October of 2021 saying, just because you win doesn't mean you've won, things like that. And so we pushed against her narrative. And now we're really the, the most important thing, Brian, if, that people in America haven't paid attention to yet is four years ago, I said we want to make sure only American citizens are voting in our elections. That's what I said four years ago. And right now, Stacey Abrams is trying to stop us from doing that with a federal lawsuit. She's trying to stop us from doing citizenship verification when people attempt to register. Well, if you get non-citizens on your voter rolls, what's going to happen next? They'll be voting in your elections. And that's very important. This is really a bellwether for our entire country. We need to stop it here in Georgia. We need to win this court case because if we actually lost, we will appeal to the Supreme Court. But if we did lose, every other state would be open to non-citizen voting. This is the key issue. You got how many people are coming across the border today? Just think of them when they get rid of Title 42. 18,000 expected. 18,000 exactly. a day if they get rid of it. If they get rid of it, multiply that by 365 days, and then and Stacey Abrams wants the blue wave of undocumented and documented voting in our elections. No, we're going to make sure that only American citizens vote here in Georgia. Eighty percent of all Georgians agree with me, 93 percent of all Republicans. This is common sense, and that's why I'm continuing to push back on that. And I'm trying to elevate people's awareness of how critical this issue is, not just for Georgia, but for our entire country. Understood, uh, and we're seeing it. When Ron DeSantis made his stand against Disney and still saying we're, we're getting rid of their autonomous status, he pushed back against that company when they said we're going to do everything we can to overturn this, uh, this parental rights bill. Uh, I believe we're seeing immediately corporations responding to that when we have the controversial Roe v. Wade that could be, uh, that could be history as early as June. Now we're not seeing corporations say anything except for we'll provide transportation if you need to leave a state to get an abortion. Do you think that has direct effect of what they did to you guys and probably we regret and what they tried to do to Florida? I think that publicly traded corporations would do best to focus on producing their product or service and doing that because half their customers are going to be on one side of the aisle, half are going to be on the other side of the aisle. You know, they need to be focused in on what they do to return top value for their shareholders. Yeah, uh, so we'll see what happens. What was the fallout corporate-wise besides losing the All-Star game? Well, we lost the All-Star game, and we did get, uh, I guess, I guess the, the sweet moment of winning the World Series. But still, they said that we, re- we reduced the number of days of early voting. That wasn't true at all. We actually increased it by a day. Plus, we said any county that wants to have Sunday voting can have two days of Sunday voting. We also now make sure that lines are shorter than one hour. Counties have to keep lines short. It's never been easier to vote, and we shored it up security by having photo ID for absentee voting. And that's what they've been using in Minnesota for over 10 years. Texas and Georgia now, we're using photo ID driver's license number because it makes sense. It's an objective measure.
Right. So, Brad, look at your race now. You have a bunch of people in it, but Jody Heiss is second. That's a Trump-endorsed candidate. Uh, you're up in the last poll that we could see uh, in April 22nd of the 27th by 11 points. How do you feel with the one week to go until Election Day or it's six days? Well, Jody Heiss has been lying for a year and a half, spreading all this misinformation, disinformation. And yet when he's been up in Congress, he's done nothing on election reform legislation. Meanwhile, when I was in the State House, I said you had to be an American citizen to be on any government board, commission, and authority. I passed that in the State House. Went over to the Senate, and it died over there. But I did my job as a state representative. He has not done his job as a congressman. He's done nothing on election reform legislation, and he's done nothing on border security either. Where's his bills on border security? Where's his border on election reform legislation? He's not done anything for seven and a half years. And now he's been spreading misinformation. And I'm cleaning that up. I go out and I talk to anyone. I'll go talk to Tea Party, Republican Party meetings, you know, Rotary, Kiwanis, you know, Business Exchange. I'll talk to anyone Give me 10 minutes to tell people what happened, and then I'll take your questions for as long as you have questions. And bit by bit, what the message is getting out. A couple of things. When you people look at your state, they now say it's no longer a red state. Brad, do you feel it's still a red state? They just had an election where it went in a different direction? Well, if you look at the numbers, what we have right now, there's 237,000, as you said, Republican voters that have shown up and 167 you know, Democrat voters. Maybe they're waiting for a little bit. It is competitive. We're like North Carolina. We're not like Alabama, 65-35. We have just grown an awful lot in our population. But I still think that we are you know, on the right side of the aisle. Uh, it just, it's much more competitive. Right, and much more competitive. Uh, Brad, best of luck. Thanks so much. And I hope people take Thanks, note Brian. that you're not trying to get rid of any segment of society. You just want to make sure elections are legitimate. My job is to make sure we have fair and honest elections, and we're seeing that today. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, you got it. one 408 It's your time to sneak in your calls right after this. Uh, then I'm going to go and talk a little Ukraine with Daniel Balik, uh, Bilek, and he's going to bring us up to date on what's happening there. There's tremendous gains, Russia's tremendous losses, but they still have acquired, through pure force, a lot of uh, mineral-rich territory, and that can't stand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The crunchy granola types uh, who like to attend gender reveal parties. I mean, they're very, very woke, and they're just not focused on the issues that are worrying ordinary Americans right now. I'm not saying they don't believe in democracy. They they say they do, but Mm. they really believe in government by experts, and they think they're the experts, and they're smarter than ordinary Americans, and they're more more virtuous, and that everybody ought to shut up and listen to them. And we're not. Uh, when you have baby formula missing, when gas is over $4 a gallon, when diesel is over $5 a gallon, when everything you want to buy is more expensive, uh, and it's affecting your way of life, believe me, and crime is running rampant in every major city, we're not going to worry about trans rights unless, of course, they're changing textbooks and suspending your kid because he's not using the right pronoun. Kathy on WSBA in York, Pennsylvania. Hey, Kathy. Hi, thanks for having me on. I no appreciate problem. it. No problem. I just 
I just wanted to share just a couple minutes from working at the polls in, in Pennsylvania. Um, we really, last year we had, we ran out of Republican ballots, but this year we had plenty. Uh, we had a lot of uh, people work, basically they all said they were happy with the the top of the uh, candidate list, and and it was a hard decision, and many of them just really struggled with who they wanted to vote for because I think they were they're all strong, and uh, they said this was one of the hardest elections they've ever voted in. But the best thing that occurred were the two gentlemen that came in and said, after 40 years, I get to vote to, for the for, I'm a first time voter, and they were two uh, gentlemen from Cuba who were voting for the very first time as U.S. citizens, and they were so proud. Yeah, that, the whole thing cool. broke out. Yep. Uh, so who did you vote for? Uh, I don't tell who I voted for. But we don't know who you are. Um, <laughs> that, I know. I know. But there are people here that do. And yeah. it doesn't, it, that's not important. It really isn't important who I voted for, because this was I, it was what was important was the people made choices and they were everyone. Both sides were very they were sincere. And there wasn't a lot of competition on the Democrat ballot. Um, but I really feel that, um, you know, it, 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 people people really thought about it before they made their, their choices. And, and I think that that unfortunately, I will say, I mean, obviously, I, I had a Republican ballot. That's all I'll say. But that uh, the things that are being said about Republicans um, are just so hurtful. And and it it is not a, it does not describe the people who voted. And uh, honestly, there were people of all races, ethnicities, and and two genders that voted, that chose Republican ballots. Right. Uh, so so uh, I appreciate that. Inclusive. But Kathy, did you did your precinct count all the absentee ballots yet or the mail-in ballots? Um, um, ours, our precinct, did, uh, they were, uh, we're in York County, and so they, we didn't have the same issue that they had in Lancaster County. And they started counting as soon as we closed. Um, we don't have our totals yet uh, that, that they sent to us, but we didn't have the problems. However, mm. um, York County is a pretty red county. Gotcha. Thanks for the call. Uh, appreciate the real world insight. 22,000 uncounted votes so far in Lancaster. It's really could decide the vote, uh, decide who the Senate candidate is. Mark, listen to the Fox News Radio app in Ohio. Mark. Hey, Brian. <clears throat> hey, your, your speaker during the 9 o'clock hour, your guest was talking about that they couldn't <clears throat> convict Clinton because it's, uh, it wasn't a crime. It was just something very unethical. Well, why can't we hold her accountable for the cost of that in the Mueller report? Let's get there. Mark, besides the cost, what I want it exposed, I want it exposed. And you see the Mueller reports five years old today. What a big waste of time, waste of money, ruined lives. When you think of um, when you think of Roger Stone, when you think of all the others, Manafort, when you think of Flynn, this whole faux investigation ruined lives and really hurt the country. Uh, hence the presidency. But I want it exposed. It's going to be piece by piece. And when when it comes out that Sussman laid this story at the FBI, I want to find out who in the FBI bought it and why they didn't follow up and investigated it or why they were they leaking to the press about it. We know McCabe leaked to the press, but these guys, these guys have to be exposed. Uh, I think it's a major case. Eric, listen in WDBO in Orlando. Eric. Hey, Brian. 
we need to amend the three big things you need to know to like the ten big things you I need know, to know because three ain't cutting it these I know, days. I know. Um, just when you think it can't get any worse, I don't know if you saw Trump said on Truth Social that uh, the judge in the Sussman case is married to Lisa Page's lawyer, and Merrick Garland performed their wedding ceremony. So that guy needs to go. I had no idea about that. Well, I'll have to find out if that's indeed. That's unbelievable. Uh, you know, you're going to get in, on the jury is two AOC supporters and one Hillary Clinton supporter who work for both work for the respective campaigns. That's incredible. So, Eric, thanks for the call. He always provides insight. I'm going to go verify that. But how disturbing is that? But if you go out there and you start your case with you lied to the FBI and it's a text message to the FBI that says I'm not affiliated with anyone. I mean, this should be the ultimate layup. The question is, to do a deal, will Sussman say what exactly was behind it, who was behind it? Is the FBI complicit or just uses stooges? And they, are they that easily duped? One thing they brought up is Jim Baker's not an investigator. He's a FBI lawyer. So call up an investigator and say, listen, I got my friend of mine's here. Says he's got some Russia linked to Trump. Come over. Evaluate it. I'm, I'm a lawyer. one 866 Back in a moment. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Can you believe this is where we are after three, more than three months of war? That we're in a situation where Ukraine is getting some real money because they've earned it, because they've shown they can stand up to the Russians. Russia, Putin is being in effect criticized by a respected analyst on his own TV show. Sweden and Finland are joining NATO. I mean, this is not the war that we expected. Yeah, uh, but I'm glad these things have happened, but they're not out of the woods yet. Daniel Bilek knows that, former chief investment advisor to the prime minister of Ukraine and head of Ukraine Invest. And he's also volunteering as a member of the Ukrainian Territorial Defense Forces. Uh, Daniel, always great to hear from you. Uh, First off, how are things going on the ground? Uh, thanks for having me back. Um, well, here in Kiev, uh, things have quietened down uh, considerably since uh, since we defeated the uh, the Russians around uh, around the, the north of the city. Uh, they, as you know, they pulled back, and now they're concentrating uh, all their efforts on uh, on the east and the south. And uh, and that's that that's a really uh, uh, quite a quite a tense situation right now. Understood. Now they have they. T- I guess essentially have taken Mariupol as, uh, and we understand the the officers have the uh, the your fighting force has given up the steel mill and they've left 260, so they have that and they 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 claim Kyrgyzstan. Are you concerned that they're going to keep these areas and call, call it a day and take some valuable territory from Ukraine? Well. Let's be clear. They they can try to take whatever they want, but they're not they're not going to keep it. And and especially if we get the help from the United States that we've been promised, uh, we're 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 going to uh, kick these guys out of the country. And and we can do it. And and everybody knows we can do it, including them. Um, you know, Mariupol was was absolutely was critical. We had a a thousand men under a thousand men in the Azov battalion, basically holding down, pinning down. 10,000 Russian troops, which was absolutely critical. He did this for three months. And this was absolutely critical to allow our, our forces 
in in Kiev and uh, in the east uh, to to be able to uh, withstand the Russian uh, advance and to start pushing them back. And these these guys are heroes. Um, I mean, I don't know what's been negotiated in terms of their extraction. I hope that whatever it is, the Russians keep their word. Uh, they're, uh, you know, Bismarck said that uh, uh, the word of the Russians isn't worth the paper it's written on, and we've seen that time and again. So I'm, I'm just hopeful these guys are going to are going to survive in their hands. Um, in terms of uh, Kherson and uh, and the east, look, we we've pushed them out of uh, out of surrounding uh, Kharkiv in the east as well. They they have not taken any major cities. Uh, Mariupol was a was a secondary city. Um, Basically, it's, it's been leveled. It's rubble. Um, Kherson, they came up right at the beginning. It's a smaller city as well. But, you know, they've shown time and again that with the resilience of the Ukrainian forces, uh, smart use of arms, smart use of tactics, uh, the second largest army in the world can be, can right. be defeated. And we're not going to cede one, one inch of ground to them because by doing that, we essentially sentence the Ukrainians living under Russian rule to slavery and slaughter. We've seen that time and again. Daniel Bialik with us uh, from uh, Daniel. Where are you now? Kiev. So you you come to us now. Now is when you guys sit around and talk about logical goals. I, I get this a lot too. What does victory look like? Your goal ultimately will push them out of everything, including Crimea. What's realistic? Well, again, I, I Brian, I, I come back to this. Um, you know, we got the howitzers that the, that the American 155 millimeter uh, howitzers. We've been getting some some very good kit uh, from the U.S., especially other NATO countries. Uh, the javelins, the NLOS, the these anti-tank weapons. Um, we've proven that they can be defeated. Uh, you know, this they're they're still dangerous because there are just so many of them. But, you know, we can take the fight to them. And it is absolutely realistic to push them out of the country. Look, in, in 1917, uh, at the end of the First World War, the Russian army on paper was huge. And then it just collapsed. And, and we just need to keep pushing them out. And, and that really means, you know, get, getting the, the equipment the United States has promised us, including especially the multiple rocket launch systems because they, they don't have anything that, that, that can that can combat that we need we need weapons that are going to help us move offensively not just defensively you know if, if we leave them in the country in in the donbas in kherson and crimea they're just going to come back and they're going to come back they're going to come back try to come back stronger they're, they've already said they want to go to poland and the baltic states and that means U.S. troops are going to be on the front lines in, a, in another war with Russia. And, you know, you have a chance now to defeat them by helping us and, and you know, preserving the lives of your soldiers down the road. Listen, I 100 percent agree with you. Um, and you guys, uh, the Senate did pass the 40 billion. So which means it's going to be coming in your direction when people right. are listening right now. And you're a finance guy. They're just concerned because of things that we've seen in Iraq and Afghanistan, that the money's going to go to the right place. If people are understanding that this isn't, this isn't a bottomless pit, what we do is basically drop it off in Poland. Is it, have you noticed it getting to the right people at the right time? Yeah, listen, I, I totally get this. And, and, I, and I do want to thank the people of the United States because, you know, without your support, 
I'm not sure your government would have done the right thing. Um, look, we are not Iraqi. We are not Iraq. We are not Afghanistan. We are a reliable ally. We know how to use these weapons, and we are and we are using them effectively. Um, uh, the, 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 they've been they've been actually the government and the the military has been posting pictures about on social media uh, about how the how effective the howitzers have been. They've they've been showing how the javelins are being used. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, we we've killed twenty eight thousand Russian soldiers. We've taken out one third of the Russian tank park. Like they have a few thousand five hundred tanks. We've taken out over a thousand of those. We couldn't have done that without American weapons and and British weapons. And 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 so that that stuff is getting there. And we're you know our soldiers are being trained as we speak in the United States and in in, in NATO countries. And they're going back and they're training their their guys. We are we are in a battle uh, for the existence of this country, and and our own existence. And and you know nobody's pussyfooting around with this stuff. It's going to get used absolutely appropriately. And and frankly, there is a there's a there's a, a big coordinating group in Stuttgart, Germany, run by uh, UCOM, the United States Army Command. Uh, involving the Ukrainians, involving other NATO members to coordinate all of this. So there's there's no blank check, and they're not just like throw, throwing this stuff over uh, to over, the, over 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 a fence to people in sandals and and uh, <laughs> and, and and you know uh, uh, towels and and say here fight with this. I mean we we are you know we are showing ourselves to be a reliable NATO ally, even though for some reason. We're doing the fighting, and Sweden and Finland get the entry ticket. That's <laughs> kind of a bizarre situation, right? So you're doing it. You, does that? How do you feel about that? Well, you know, I get it. I think that anything to strengthen the alliance. I mean, you know, I, I was born in in uh, in Canada. I grew up in Toronto, and and so I, you know, I grew up with NATO, and and I, I've always believed in the alliance, and and I believed in the United States. Still believe in the United States and the United Nations, the United States. As a as a force for good in the world, and a force for a beacon for freedom, and you know, so uh, bringing in Sweden and Finland is great. I mean, it extends the NATO border with Russia by another 1,200 kilometers, uh, almost you know 700 800 miles. Um, but you know, I think that NATO has to look very seriously at, at Ukraine's entrance uh, into NATO. I mean, we are proven that we can we can fight like a NATO army. We are fighting the enemy that NATO will have to face. We know how to fight him. We've been fighting them for eight years, by the way, when nobody wanted to listen to us that this was the enemy to NATO. Uh, we're on. The, we're protecting NATO's eastern flank. We are using NATO weapons. In fact, after this war is over, who do you think is going to be training NATO armies on how to use these these weapons? It'll be the Ukrainians. And, um, you know, there, I think NATO needs Ukraine uh, as much as Ukraine needs NATO. And it'll certainly strengthen the alliance. You have people that are proven to fight. You know, if he ever decides to go into the Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, he's threatened Poland, Ukrainians are going to be there because we understand that it's a fight for us. And they'll probably be more willing to go than perhaps some of the other NATO members. So this only strengthens the alliance, and and it gives the United States a powerful, big ally in a crucial theater uh, that will defend American freedom. Well, 
Keep on, keep on uh, recording this success because you are making the world safer and diminishing Vladimir Putin. Now we see Germany making massive moves to get off coal, oil, and gas. The rest of Europe, too. So the, the, suddenly the war machine is going to stop being funded if we can convince Hungary to do the same. Uh, Daniel, thanks so much. Well, I, I, Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say, I mean, that this, you know, continuing to pay Putin is essentially financing gotcha. state terrorism. I hear you. Daniel Bilek, thanks so much. From Ukraine. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. You know, in a, a little while, I'll be in, in about five minutes, I'll be able to take calls. I'll see you up there. I'll get to it by the end at the back end of this block, 1 866 408 7669. And um, I have not gotten to a lot, but one thing that Stuart wants to talk about, which I did want to talk about, and uh, bad on my part for not bringing it up earlier. And that is the series of rants Elon Musk is going over. And now we have, instead of the Twitter board uh, worrying that Elon Musk will take over, now they're demanding he buy Twitter. Now he's inquiring how many bots are out there, how many people are actually online. So let's listen in together to Stuart Varney. Joins us now. Hey, Brian, I don't know whether you saw this or not, but the Washington Post is now reporting that this disinformation board is on pause. And Nina Jankowicz, who was supposed to head that board, is apparently considering leaving. You glad to see this thing go, Brian? Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll put it this way. It was so effective when it was in use. It was, <laughs> and, and she was so nonpartisan and with a great, wonderful singing voice. And it was so well-respected. I mean, I, I watched Bill Maher rip it on his, uh, on his monologue on HBO on Friday. And you just know how much is disinformation. What are we doing now, Stuart? We're following the Durham trial. Uh, Durham has Michael Sussman up there. So for, for this, today is, by, by the way, Mark's five years since the Mueller report started, the investigation started. All of that was a total waste of time. Yeah. If, you, if you talk about the, how, uh, what Mueller did, that's disinformation because there's really no investigation there. And now Durham, we're looking to find out how this whole thing started. So Michael Sussman, we should take down a lot of his tweets when he was out there pretending as if he was nonpartisan. <laughs> yeah. So we should forget about him. You can't possibly think this was a good idea. No, no, what a joke. I've got to talk to you about the primaries yesterday. Obvious first question, did Trump's endorsement work for the candidates he backed? I mean, he's, he's, got, like, he's got a lot of layups because he, some guys were going to win like Rand Paul anyway, and he took it as a victory. He's got over 70 wins. Um, I think that with, if Oz doesn't get the endorsement Donald Trump, he's not on the doorstep of a victory, no doubt about it. But what I found fascinating, which makes it in, impure and is that as soon as Stuart, if you and I were to run in a, in a Senate primary, of course, you would get Donald Trump's support. But if I was to run against you, if I was to stay in the race, I'd say, listen, Donald Trump likes Stuart, but I like everything that Donald Trump did. And I'm going to do the same policies without the theatrics that Donald Trump brought to the table. So it wasn't like I'm sure. running like Governor Hogan of Maryland or Governor Christie, who have become very anti-Trump. So I don't have a clear break of what exactly it means Trump's sure. going to get his first big loss next week, it seems, in the governor's race in Georgia. On the other side of the fence, where was Biden? Biden was nowhere in these primaries. In Pennsylvania. I mean, Trump was all over it, but Biden was nowhere, and that included Pennsylvania, too. Last word on this to you. All right, last word is this. Scranton, he's from Pennsylvania, and they didn't okay. want him to show up. Number two, the guy that won is not Connor Lamb, the moderate Democrat that should have the best shot in a purple state, 
but the left wing Democrat, yeah. which is what Joe Biden says he isn't. So good luck with that, because he's remarkably unpopular because everything he does, everything he touches falls apart. Unfortunately, most things he touches are into the country we're sharing. You know, I don't know whether you saw this one either, but Musk says he might vote Republican yeah. because Biden's done nothing. What do you make of that? I love this. This is what I love. It's so easy to find out when Trump and Biden disagree or Trump and Obama disagree. We all know that. But when you got billionaires who can't be labeled right or left like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk take on the president and his accusations, whether it's billionaires who are selfish or corporations who are hoarding or those horrible moms who might want an extra six pack of formula. Now people are fighting back at school boards, at uh, at pharmacies and now billionaires saying that I might vote Republican because nothing Joe Biden doesn't, in his words, get anything done. If you were to give me the big picture on the forthcoming elections in November, would you say that it's going to be a knockdown, huge win for the, Demo- for the Republicans? Well, I, I do think that, you know, matchups make fights. Uh, and the thing is, I might be a better, you know, there's certain play, uh, people that Ali would go line up against and have trouble with. Ken Norton, he would always have trouble with Frazier. Foreman would have no problem with Frazier and have no problem with Norton, knock him out in inside three rounds. But styles make fights. So individual Senate races, how they match up, I think that has a lot to do with it. But there's a Republican wave because everything that Joe Biden has done from inflation to gas prices uh, to the embarrassment in Afghanistan to what he's not doing at the border, and that's actually stopping people from coming in, make you say, so you want more of that? I'm going with the other guy or the other woman. So I do think things are heading in the Republicans' direction, and the Democrats have earned the aversion that America feels towards them in many cases. That's why Joe Biden is not asked to show up anywhere. Remember, he goes to Georgia. Stacey Abrams says, I have a conflict. I can't show up. Really? Out of time. Brian, always good. Thank you very much indeed, sir. We'll see you again soon. You got it. Still. All right, let's go to Alex listening in Brooklyn on WABC. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. And I think the reason why Dave McCormick won yesterday's election or he's so close when well, he was trailing. the third in the polls. Right. He's, he's trailing, but he was he was the third in the polls. And now he's number one or number two is because Kathy Barnett was being attacked for statements she's made in the past. And the people that would have voted for her but didn't because they found out information about her. They were people that weren't looking to vote for the Trump endorsed candidate. So they went and voted yesterday for Dave McCormick. Maybe. So that put him over the top. And the thing is that if Dr. Oz would have kept quiet about Kathy Barnett, and he was the most outspoken, and he informed, I think, the most people about her bad side, Dr. Oz would have remained number one. Kathy Barnett would have been number two. And Dave McCormick wouldn't have gotten her votes. Well, it's a, it's a theory until, him over the top. until we see – it's a theory and it's a solid one. But right now, uh, Mehmet Oz has a 2,600-plus you know, uh, lead. So we'll see with 22,000 uh, outstanding ballots in Lancaster alone. Um, we don't really have any time to take another call, do we? Not really. Uh, I'm going to get to you next hour, so stay right there. Uh, special thanks to Stuart Varney for having me on and for him coming on our show. Daniel Ballack to coming with us uh, from Ukraine and Brad Raffensperger to bring us inside Georgia. But right now we're waiting for the counting to continue and the results to continue to come forward. But so far, if you talk to Donald Trump or you read Trump Social uh, or Truth Social, which I am on, by the way, uh, they, uh, Donald Trump is extremely happy the way everything's coming out. Uh, Because when these people get in, they're going to be his supporters. 
But the question is, are they smart enough not to talk about the next election? If you keep talking about 2020 because Donald Trump wants you to, you will not win the general. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show uh, coming to you from New York City. Heard around the country, heard around the world. You know the phone number, 1-866-408-7669. A little, little, some other stuff going on today. Uh, there'll be a press conference right now, actually in 50 minutes. Senator Murkowski holds a press conference on gas prices. You know, Miss Moderate uh, in Alaska, they are not pumping out oil and gas like we're capable of. Think about that next time you fill up for between 4 and $6 a gallon. And Secretary Austin is hosting... Uh, his, her, his counterpart in Swedish defense minister, because it looks like Sweden and Finland are poised to join the best alliance around NATO, which uh, will f- it's getting stronger by the day. Another part of the miscalculation from this guy named Vladimir Putin. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. They're going to get right into it with the evidence today. But, you know, the prosecution is proving a fairly simple case, and that is a false statement to the FBI. And I think the defense is going to have a hard time creating enough smokescreen to cover up that the fact that Sussman did make a false statement. Uh, Yeah, that is all about the Durham investigation. That is Matt Whitaker. Opening arguments set the table yesterday on the Michael Sussman's uh, condition. Did he lie to the FBI? It seems pretty cut and dry, but the details and the witnesses will blow this case, I think, wide open, or at least bring the spotlight on it and how Kennedy, Ken, uh, actually Hillary Clinton was behind the corruption. Number two. The crunchy granola types uh, who like to attend gender reveal parties. I mean, they're very, very woke. And they're just not focused on the issues that are worrying ordinary Americans right now. Yeah, like gas prices, diesel prices in all 50 states, they are a factor. All-time highs per gallon, also illegals storming our border, a factor in all 50 states. That is a factor. What else is happening? Baby formula, 2.7 million babies need formula that they don't have because we're only at 43% of capacity. Inexcusable. Number one. If we count all the same day up, Oz has the lead. Then we count the mail up and McCormick leapfrogs him and takes the lead. And then deja vu all over again. You're talking about Donald Trump's backed candidate in Pennsylvania being overtaken after the election on the strength of mail-in ballots. Unbelievable. That would be something. Steve Kornacki of NBC. Primary showdown. The most intriguing race, the Pennsylvania race, is too close to call. I will bring you the winners maybe within this hour and losers and Trump's scorecard, which is uh, quite good. Uh, The biggest story in America is first time ever. We're averaging over $4 a gallon for gas. And if you're in California, it's $6 a gallon for gas. Uh, With me right now to discuss this, what it means is Tim Stewart, the president of U.S. Oil and Gas Association, uh, Tim, welcome. Since we last spoke, things have only gotten worse. Are you surprised? No, I'm not. And thanks for having me on. You know, part of the unparalleled mismanagement of the energy economy is that now we've got millions more people find themselves in energy poverty. And that's a horrible thing. And, 
we, we've got to we've got to figure out how to uh, provide some relief for the consumer. And and appreciate you the opportunity to talk about this. You know, I define energy poverty by two things. It's one, it's when somebody can't afford the cost of gas, they can't afford to fill up the car van. Or it's when they can't afford something else because those costs have gone up due to transportation and something else becomes unaffordable. And so now we're finding ourselves where our friends and our neighbors and our family members are facing real energy poverty because of really bad decisions made by the administration over the past 18 months. You got about a million acres in Alaska. They said, well, we're no longer going to drill there. We're going to give up those leases. And then we know that Alaska is not pumping up into its capacity. That's what Senator Murkowski is going to be talking about. And we know about pipelines that are not being fully used. And we have a situation where Europe says, please give me more natural gas. I want to get away from Russia. And our capacity doesn't allow us to reportedly. What do you want to take on? I gave you three issues there, Tim. Take them all. Sure. Well, first of all, we're stuck with a president who's been aimlessly wandering around with his left turn blinker on with regards to an energy crisis that we've all been warning them about for the last year. Each week, they take some sort of action to compound the problem further. You know, this week, they've gone to Venezuela and said, look, we'll, we'll lift some sanctions on you after canceling the offshore leases that are a couple hundred miles away from Venezuela last week and, and, and in Alaska as well. And so uh, when you pull millions of federal acres out of, out of leasing consideration, it's like pulling millions of acres of cropland out of production and wondering why yields are down. Uh, and, again, it, it's this problem is, is they're not – the president and his Democratic caregivers in Congress, they don't have any plan to fix this. They're just trying to yell squirrel and get voters to look somewhere else. In Alaska, which is, uh, has one of our greatest resources uh, and has – we've known that for decades now – Doing work in Alaska, Brian, is very, very complex. Uh, it's very expensive. The reason why is because that it is a notoriously difficult place to drill. It's a huge business line for fundraising to do environmental groups who raise millions of dollars each year saying that they're protecting Alaska. And, and pulling those Alaska and New Mexico leases not only sort of ends future energy production, but it, ironically it also cuts off hundreds of millions of dollars for future conservation funding royalties that go to – to protect uh, national parks and, and wildlife areas through the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Uh, and so it's fascinating how they're sacrificing wildlife and conservation at the, at the altar of climate because they feel it is better to uh, keep Alaska completely off the table along with the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, I- incredible. The other thing, just the last one on natural gas, do you think it would be possible for LNG to get overseas? Uh, I know the Trump people talked about getting a pipeline through Portugal, uh, they have problems getting France to agree to it. Do you think there's something in play we could do there? And as you know, Tim Stewart is president of U.S. Oil and Gas. It burns clean, so it should be environmentally friendly. It is the cleanest. U.S. natural gas is the cleanest gas in the world for two reasons. You know, One, we, we get it out better and quicker and more environmentally sound than anywhere else. The rest of the world comes to us, Brian, to, to learn how we do it because we do it so well. And, and you and I talked about this uh, last time, I think, which is that the, it's great to be able to support our European allies. We want to do that. We want to be able to develop that export market, but we need support from the administration, primarily in the in the infrastructure side, where they have got to be able to expedite the permitting required to get this infrastructure built, to get this gas to the facilities, to get it overseas, to get it to that European market. And we're not getting that out of them. It's again, it's it, it is this. Right. Uh, counterproductive approach that they take on virtually everything. Nancy Pelosi and her fellow Democrats voted on H.R. 768-7688, the Consumer Fuel Price Gouging Prevention Act. 
who provide beefed-up powers to the FTC to penalize oil companies if they can somehow prove the company is unfairly inflating the price of gas or other petroleum-based fuels. What do you think will come of this? Well, you know, speaking of socialists in Venezuela, I mean, we're, we're this, let's not fool ourselves. You know, they call it a price gouging bill, but it's not a price gouging bill. It's a price control bill. It's the first time that Democrats are allowing the president and giving him statutory authority to really set the price of fuel. It's interesting if you look at how uh, they, they characterize that, Brian. There's this, the term they use in the legislation. It's called unconscionably excessive pricing. And yet they don't, they don't define what unconscionably excessive pricing might be. Right. It's whatever the president decides that it's going to be. And this, we can't fool ourselves. This isn't price gouging. This isn't changing the subject. This is the first steps into implementing price controls for fuel. And we all know through the pandemic and everything else, if you give the, the executive branch authority like that, they reach farther and farther and farther, and they will never surrender that. It might be gasoline today, but it might be anything you buy at Target tomorrow. Yeah, real quick, uh, one of the things I'm doing for What Makes America Great is the history of gas and oil. And I had a chance to talk to a lot of officials. They say, listen, I'm not going to go and make an investment in infrastructure in order to drill and get get and, and keep production up and then find out in a year or two that there's no need for it, there's not going to be backed by it, or we're being attacked again by the administration. If gas, I think the threshold is it's $60 a barrel, uh, you break even. But if it goes below that, you lose money, you got to lay off people, and obviously the whole, you know, every, the, the stock price falls and everything like that. If the administration really cared, they would, they would actually back you up for 18 months and say, listen, if it falls behind uh, $80 a barrel or whatever the number is, $70 a barrel, uh, we'll step in and we'll, we'll help float you guys until the crisis is over. Would that help? Well, you know, that's a great point, and, and the, pri- the profitability price point is really different for each of the different production basins you come in. Sometimes it can be really low. It can be $30, $40 a barrel. Sometimes it's higher than that. And don't get me wrong. We're not looking for any sort of price support from the, from the government. That's a, that's a bad idea, and that's counterintuitive to what we're doing. What we need is we've got to have market signals sent that investing long-term in the oil and gas industry is a, is a vital impact or a vital component of our economy. So, you know, we're in a refining crisis right now. We're a million barrels short of where we were, you know, a year ago uh, on, the, on the refining side. And that's for a number of reasons. You know, the pandemic in particular shut down a lot of those aging refineries, and they haven't opened because they need to be, uh, they need to be retooled a bit. But you can't invest a billion dollars into a new refinery in California, for example, if the state of California last week pushes out new information, they're going to slash the use of oil by 90 percent over the next 20 years. Who's going to invest billions of dollars in new refining capacity in California if the state's going to regulate your market away by the time you've been able to pay off the, the, the cost of that, that retooling of that, that refinery? And so we need them to get out of our way is what we really need to do. Absolutely. And, and by the way, uh, Tim, it's uh, over. I was just out there. Six seventy five, six dollars and seventy five cents. I mean, for a gallon of gas. So you just got to ask yourself, who the hell are you electing? That are yeah. they looking out for you at all? I mean, do they care about you? You know, you, do they think everybody, some Hollywood celebrity, they can afford this? Then they they have their drivers just charge them more uh, at the end of the month. I mean, do they know what it's like? A lot of people are grinding out in California. Every dollar counts. Well, Exactly. You know, and the problem is you've got energy policy being made in Washington, D.C. by people who never who have not purchased gas themselves because they take Uber or they go into work in a black car. 
and uh, it's a bad it's a bad deal when energy policy is being made by people who don't drive themselves to work. You know, like I, I'm farming background. My my brothers and and my neighbors are paying five thousand dollars a week to to keep the tractors dieseled up to to get the spring crops in. That's going to be hard to make a profit this year when you're when you're, so many of your fuel costs or some of your costs are being absorbed by fuel. And again. We have energy poverty. It's our neighbors. It's our friends. It's our family. We, we've got to. We've got to get this administration to wake up on this one. Uh, too too late. Uh, sadly, uh, to Tim Stewart, president of U.S. Oil and Gas. Thanks. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I see you up there. Uh, I'll get to your calls in a moment. Then Martha McCallum will join me too and help us out. So let's get uh, uh, let's get back to it right after this. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. In the mail ballots that have been counted so far statewide, McCormick is running nine points ahead of Oz on the mail ballots. So if you had 20,000, give or take here, we're trying to get the exact number here, but it might be somewhere in that ballpark, there would be an opportunity there for McCormick to make up, probably, if it's nine points, not all of that gap with Oz, but he could cut severely into that gap with Oz, because this is one of the things we've been seeing in Republican primary after Republican primary this year. The Trump-endorsed candidate, in this case Mehmet Oz, has been doing worse with the mail-in votes than with the same-day votes. So that makes you wonder what's going to happen now. There's roughly 22,000 votes alone on count in Lancaster County. And no, so far, even though I went to bed and, uh, and Dr. Oz had not been leading all night, all day, uh, he was up. He ends up up 2,600 votes, roughly. Uh, Connor Lamb got crushed because he was a moderate. I guess John Fetterman wins, even though he had a stroke. True. Martha McCallum knows all this. She pretended as if it was new news, and for that, I appreciate it. Martha <laughs> McCallum, thanks for joining me in Hi studio. Hi there. How you doing, Brian? First time in a long time. You're on Fox Nation. Don't be nervous. Just act like yourself. Okay, I will. Uh, That's very exciting, though. So when do I, I, I guess we don't know the answers. I'm curious to see when we're going to start seeing the numbers move again yeah. as they begin to count. Yeah, I, I'm trying to find that out uh, to figure out why the count is not continuing because we know that there are upwards of 60,000 mail-in votes that have not been counted yet. And it's my understanding that the McCormick team feels like they're stronger in the count-in part of the vote. We'll see if that's actually true. Um, But these numbers are super tight. And we knew that going in. You know, I mean, we knew this was very... And one of the things I think is really interesting, I talked to Selena Zito the other day, and she's a real Pennsylvania expert. Um, and, And she said, you know, what's wrong with the Republican Party in Pennsylvania? We shouldn't have three strong candidates who are you know, neck and neck going into this process. They should they should figure out a way to whittle it down and say, look, you know, we're going to support you in your congressional race next time around. We need to focus on one candidate. Um, but they didn't do that. And it's it's not uncommon for Republican parties around the country. I would right. Say. They have legitimate elections and the president's picking his person. Uh, and I think in one way, what's uh, muddies the waters just a little bit is that people say, well, it's a Trump candidate. If Trump wins or loses, it's, it's a win or loss for Trump. But when the candidate, other candidates also run, as if the Trump policies that they endorse, it's not like they're running with for, you know, Chris Christie's policies or Governor Hogan's policies or uh, or Lynn Ch- Liz Cheney's policies. They're running on the same platform. It's just that Trump doesn't back them. Yeah, I mean, it, they're definitely running on an America first platform. And uh, but the other thing is that this is just this is just the first layer. 
right? And a, a Trump win is great for him. It definitely builds his, um, you know, continues Republican. to build his bona fides in this election process. But what matters is the general election. So if you pick the guy who can't beat the general election candidate, then this is not a win. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really what it's all about for both parties is is not getting through the primary, although that's the first step. Uh, it, it's what happens in the general election and what will the story be after that morning uh, in terms of these endorsements and whether or not they pay it off. So it looks like uh, Dave McCormick made pretty clear, I think on Monday night, he's like, listen, I want to win. I think I'm going to win, but I'll support whoever wins. Mm-hmm. Um, Oz, I imagine, would be the same thing. That's just the type of person he is. But it makes Kathy Barnett made it clear I am not supporting a globalist. Yeah. So that's twenty four percent of people who, if they're very loyal to her, that that could be problematic. I, absolutely, it could be problematic, and I, and I think it's a very interesting perspective because there is you know a, a piece of the Trump supporting uh, um, you know citizenry out there that feels very very strongly about that. Right. That globalist label. The world is clearly changing. We don't live in the world that we lived in during the Bush administration. Uh, We don't we live in a world where McDonald's is closing down in Russia. The dynamic is changing. We live in a world where Finland and Sweden are joining NATO. Um, And so this whole idea that we're sort of trying to reach out to our aggressors and try to make bridges and trade with them and do business with them and open companies in their countries, uh, that's changed dramatically. And, you know, McCormick has a history of trying to build bridges in a corporate way in places like China. A lot of people do. That that was sort of the way things were. People were were hoping that it was going to shine a lot of light into the darkness in China. And and hopefully, eventually, they would have a government that looks more like ours. But that's not what happened. Right. Uh, It's not what happened. We also thought that Russia would gradually come around. You know, Vladimir Putin would eventually realize we're not his enemy. Uh, and that wouldn't happen. Well, he has a lousy economy, and that's his biggest problem, right? He was supposed to be the promise of the future, that he was going to bring the former Soviet Union and then Russia into the you know globalist economic modern age, but he couldn't do it, and he didn't pull it off. And now he's sort of scrambling to you know rebuild Mother Russia to rebuild his reputation. While possibly undergoing cancer surgery or might have blood cancer, who knows what to believe. We still think that... Yeah. Uh, I think it was Brezhnev had a cold. Remember, he was dead, and they were still telling us he had a cold. Well, I talked to Neil Ferguson last week, who I just think is one of the smartest people on all on these topics. Um, And he goes, "We, we, you know, he has this great British accent. We cannot build a strategy on hoping someone's going to die. This is not (laughs) the way you do it." (laughs) Very true. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, let's be very clear. This is a capitalist country. The government does not make baby formula, nor should it. Companies make formula. And one of those companies, a company which, by the way, seems to have 40% market share, messed up and is unable to confirm that a plant, a major plant, is safe and free of contamination. So that is Pete Buttigieg, the labor secretary, who was kind of surprised, wanted just to talk about his two kids liking uh, formula. When Margaret Brennan gave him a few follow-up questions, you've known about this since February. What have you actually done about it? You know, these. what about getting in those labs? What about uh, pushing the FDA? He was uh, really ticked off. Martha McCallum here get, say, get, uh, getting set to host her show at 3 o'clock. 
Did you happen to notice that interview? Yeah, I did. I, you know, it, it reminds me of the supply chain moment with Pete Buttigieg, where he made one trip out there and sort of walked around and looked at some of the trucks. And, you know, I no mean, they had meetings and they, you know, tried to figure out how to sort of alleviate some of the problem. They tried to extend some of the hours of drivers, as I remember. Um, but we don't see I, – I just can't help but think of what Elon Musk said yesterday in the interview. He's just very sort of casually like, well, you know, the, what I'm seeing at this White House is that they're not getting stuff done. They, and he said, you know, regardless of what you think about Trump, uh, he has people around him who wanted to say – And did get let's stuff get done. It, like, let's get it done. So you want to fix this problem, right? You want to have like a factory that is going 24-7 making baby formula that meets the standard of the United States of America. And you want – that's a win, right? It's like, it's like Rahm Emanuel. Never let a crisis go to waste. A crisis is an opportunity to – to show people that you can really do something. And Pete Buttigieg also lost that opportunity in the supply chain. He's looked at as one of the potential future leaders of his party. And he's he's got these opportunities that are like gold. You want to be the guy who stands up there and goes, remember when I fixed the baby formula situation? Absolutely. And you have everyone doubt it. You know, and I don't know if this is an exact correlation, but remember Herbert Hoover, the reason why he became a, a leader for president and then became president is he was with the U.N. and he was trying to help rebuild uh, and he was able to organize uh, this food rations in such a great, uh, in such a, gr- a great way. People said, "This guy, Herbert Hoover, gets right. things done." Little, little do we know, uh, he would not be the right person to pull us out of the depression. But I want you to hear Scott Gottlieb, his former FDA director, so he's on the same show. I found this very interesting that they actually addressed this, and Scott Gottlieb looked uncomfortable because, number one. The FDA was broke. Whatever it was, was broken when he was there, and it's broken after he left. The FDA has had all these months to look at this. Whatever the whistleblower said about these Abbott Labs, it's been out there. So all you need is someone to go, Mr. President, you should take a look at this because uh, if we don't get this fixed soon, if the FDA doesn't pick up the pace, we're not going to have any baby formula come the spring. There was a press conference from Stefanik in February. You can't you, see, you can't color that. A but he's different not a shade. mind reader, right? And, he, and his answer was, "I'm not a mind reader." So look what Scott, uh, Dr. Scott Gottlieb said on Sunday. That whistleblower report was head, sent to the head of the Office of Criminal Investigations at FDA, so it does appear to be a sophisticated whistleblower. Remember, this division at FDA is nine people, and it was even fewer people when I was there. It's grown in recent years, and we made some budget requests to increase the size of that group. So the entire industry in this country is overseen by nine people. This has been an under-resourced part of the agency for a very long time, and that's contributing, I think, to these challenges that the agency is facing, trying to exert more vigorous and more efficient oversight. Now the FDI says, look, the Abbott Lab could be standing itself up soon. So it's going to be ready. Why? Because all the attention's on it. We've already been – America got a briefing on the CDC and FDA. They need to be leaned on. And you got to – they put a pushback if you have. If you feel as though you haven't done a thorough enough study in five months to stand up this lab, they should have shut it down and made immediate moves to go to Germany and France uh, and wherever – where the friendly nation has baby formula because – I think babies, uh, Republican babies and Democratic babies, both would like formula. They get Am hungry. I correct? They do. They get right. hungry. There's going to be indictments, according to Nancy Pelosi. But she um, didn't talk to anyone about it. Just no. I, and, you know, if that were the case, if you were, you know, and also this the company, you know, there's tragic illnesses and two deaths of two babies. They did not definitively connect it to this to this bacteria. 
at this manufacturing plant. Now, obviously, that's a, a, a terrible situation, and you have to get to the bottom of it. But what is taking so long was Margaret Brennan's question, and it's absolutely accurate. People want government to be – they want it to work. We pay a ton of money to yeah. run these agencies, and I'm shocked to hear him have him say that they don't have enough employees. I mean, the FDA is like no. an entire city block in Washington, D.C., and you're telling me they don't have enough people behind this issue? I, I just well, Was that the first shocking. time you heard that, too? Eight yeah. to nine. Yeah, I'm like I, – I, I don't – I'd like to hear more about that because they have an enormous agency. we got to get him to put another book out. That's when he can do other channels. Uh, yeah. Here's what Senator John Kennedy said yesterday, uh, Cut 16. Here's what the president ought to do. He ought to call in the top ten people at the FDA, and he ought to say, number one, what happened? And give them about 20 minutes to explain what happened. And then the president ought to turn to the top ten people at the FDA, and he ought to say, you have ten days to fix it. Now, I can promise you at least one of those top bureaucrats is going to say, oh, Mr. President, you don't understand. It can't be fixed in 10 days. We need a bunch of of consultants and experts. That's the one you fire. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of them will fall into line. Right. And that's what you do. You go in front of the labs. Absolutely. He's absolutely right. But but all this president does is blame. I mean, and when he sees all these problems, he says, I have an idea. Let's vilify Republicans. That's the whole ultra MAGA thing, the ultra MAGA king thing of don't compare me to the almighty, compare compare me to the alternative without mentioning Trump's name because he still doesn't want to mention Trump's name. Okay, I don't know if he wants that comparison. Have you thought that through? Where was inflation? 1.8% to 8%? Where was the economy? I mean, where was – we could get baby formula. We the we could buy things. We gas prices were low. Diesel prices were low. We had more truck drivers. The supply chain was an issue. Does he want that comparison without mentioning Trump, which evidently is the thing that might push people away? Yeah, I, I mean it's it's interesting to watch when you look at these elections, right? And you look at what people care about, and they make it very clear they care about inflation, they care about crime, they care about the border. One issue that is moving up that list is abortion, and I think that you know when when they, I think that's why one of the reasons it's one of the components for this ultra MAGA label because they think that that might be something that might work in their favor, especially when you look at, you know, perhaps suburban moms in Philadelphia, in Michigan, in places where uh, those women may have voted for Trump and then voted for Biden and might be dismayed at what they're seeing. That's an issue that they think that they can leverage. So, uh, you know, I I think that it's all about it's all about opposition. It's all about this ultra MAGA label. They're going to lean into it really hard rather than spend the time actually doing the job and getting some stuff done that you can put in your win column. So the president of the United States goes out to Buffalo, and I'm sure he told, and I know this sounds heartless, but every time somebody dies, he brings up his own personal travails. And I just find it totally inappropriate. Everybody listening to me right now has somebody in their lives who have passed away, some tragically, sadly, and some too young, like Bo. Don't keep on equating everything to you. It's like if, if John McCain walked around going, you know, I was a prisoner of war, you go, okay, I, I get know. it. So I understand it. Uh, if, if you had uh, Dan Crenshaw walking around, you know, I lost my eye. We understand. Uh, no offense. So he goes up and speaks. Now, he never spoke with the subway bomber at once. He never spoke in Waukesha. But he had to quickly made it clear on Sunday he's going to Buffalo. Cut 24. Jill and I bring you this message from deep in our nation's soul. In America, evil will not win, I promise you. Hate will not prevail, and white supremacy will not have the last word. Ten lives cut short in a grocery store. Three three or three other wounded by a hate-filled individual 
who had driven 200 miles from Binghamton in that range to carry out a murderous, racist rampage. We need to say as clearly and forcefully as we can that the ideology of white supremacy has no place in America. That help? No, it, it doesn't. This was a very, very sick young man. And when you read into his history, he had red flags all over the place. In fact, he even said that he had been able to evade the red flag law, despite the fact that he had been analyzed for just saying that he wanted to kill fellow students at graduation. Uh, he was able to get around that red flag law. This, we have to understand, with these situations, the, the, the area that you need to attack is mental health, right? And no, I, I know the press secretary said the other day, well, it's too much stigma for other people who have mental health issues to say that mental health, people who have mental health issues want to kill. I didn't know she I, said that. I, 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 I can't even wrap my brain around this. It is quite obvious where these, the, the profile that fits these young men. I think about Sandy Hook. Too much time online in the basement, mental health issues, which are sad and tragic, and they're real. It's a disease, and you suffer from this disease, and some people turn violent through this combination of factors. This young man had all sorts of stuff in his manifesto that he didn't like. He talked about, you know, eco, the ecology and and the environment and how, you know, conservatives aren't serious enough about it. He was all over the map, okay? The problem is that he triggered a tripwire, and he wasn't. They weren't able to stop him. That is incredibly tragic, okay? We have to stop tearing each other apart in these issues, and we have to recognize where this young man's horrific problem came from. And the death of those 10 individuals, I mean, it breaks your heart. These people went to a grocery store, and they got murdered because of this young man's vengeance that came from somewhere deep within him, right? At the same time, in New York City, you have 150 people who've lost their lives over the past year, okay? Uh, 10% of them are children. One of them is 11-year-old Kayarate, who was just shot in the Bronx uh, by a drive-by shooter, right? Shot the wrong person. So, you know, and and this is not to say that we don't mourn the loss of these individuals in Buffalo. Of course we do. Of course we do. But why hasn't this president and why didn't President Obama go into these places in our cities, mostly, where gang warfare is out of control and speak to these young men and tell them that they have a future, that they have a life, make their education system better, care about what's going on there because carnage is carnage. Loss of life is loss of life. These 150 people in Manhattan who are mourning their loved ones, they never got a visit from the president. Now I know the president can't be everywhere. There's a lot of bad stuff going on, but we we have to get to a point where we recognize that carnage is carnage and it happens all over the country, not to mention the loss of life to to fentanyl, which is another enormous issue. But what you get to see, you get to say the AR-15, I like to get rid of assault weapons, weapons of war, Wrongly labeled. The number two, you get to say white supremacy. Oh, I want to embrace that because that's going to help me oh, with sure. my the black community, ideally, for, idealistically from his perspective, because he's he's shedding black votes. So he goes up there and wants to pretend as if we're a, a nation of white supremacy, which we're not. 
And by the way, the way to solve any type of problem, should that be niche, is not to label everybody a white supremacist until proven differently. So this 18-year-old walked into school with a hazmat suit on. His family didn't save us from him. And this guy published 180 pages, hates Fox News, hates conservatives, didn't watch any of it. He mentioned a replacement theory, and they tried to link it to a talk show host. And that's what the president brought up. Now we're all of us going to just accept a replacement theory that I think is so extreme it's not even worth it, – it's not worth the time of something dealing with that in a governmental level. No, it's not. And, and the reason that the president is shedding black voters and Hispanic voters, by the way, is because we have an incredibly uh, out-of-control inflation problem in this country. We have a crime problem in this country. People want police officers on the corner of their neighborhood. They don't want their kids to get shot when they're walking down the street in the Bronx. They want to feel safe. These are the reasons that they are losing these voters, not because of the color of their skin. It's not that. It's because they want their children to grow up in a safe, thriving country, and they want them to get an education. Uh, End of story. And by the way, for the, if you're going to look into everyone's background, the subway bomber, the shooter, uh, even though he was uh, thankfully bad at shooting, he had a machete in his back, hated white people, hated Jews as well. We don't really bring that up. They're crazy people. Right. So they target groups in their mind, and they have this – they've built up this enormous story that everyone is against them. It's this – is, this is a, an illness. Right. It's an illness. Absolutely. Uh, and, the, and the gunshot bonus said, listen, nothing came up on his background check. The fact that he was interviewed by state cops for hours uh, on, in, in 2021 and they said, OK, we'll let you go. There should have been something on his background. Well, of course he should have Plus a red flag. That's what the red flag law is for. He should never have been able to purchase a gun. Right. And, and you know, we all know people find ways to get guns, but he went and bought it, you know. Um, so the, that's, that is a problem. You have to make some judgment decisions about who is able to have a gun and who isn't based on medical history. Right. Absolutely. In fact, I saw some stunning. I just think studying the last maybe 25 mass shooters and seeing if there's any commonalities that allow us to uh, do this thing, attack this thing holistically instead of politically. Seventy percent of um, of these mass murderers, 77 percent of these mass murderers got their guns legally. Seventy seven percent. Wow. Okay. So let's find out how they did it, what they did, and what we missed, and see if there's something we could do uh, to stop those seventy that seventy seven percent and and get that number down. And if you can't do that, I mean, we have to be able to get to a place in this country where you can do that across party lines, and you can protect the Second Amendment, and you can have red flag laws that actually make a difference. Um, Martha's going to host her show at three o'clock. She's going to tell us what's on it when we come back. Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I mean, I just saw it and I was blown away. Um, sorry, Julius. It's uh, it's just a bummer. I mean, it's you, you don't want you want people to want to come to the tournament. And um, I mean, that's if, if I'm on the fence and I'm looking at that concession stand, that's not the greatest thing. But at the same time, people aren't like coming to a tournament to necessarily like, oh, I'm going to go buy a Michelob Ultra. You know what I'm saying? So. I just was blown away um, because I've never seen a beer $18 or $19 even in my life. And um, guys have been talking about it. So I, you know, had to stand, stand up for the fans. I felt it was right. Justin Thomas, golfer, wants to win the PGA Championship. Uh, Martha McCallum with me. Her show starts at 3. But talked about how $19 for Michelob Ultra. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Not even that good. Right. Ultra, yes, not tasteless, <laughs> you but like you, don't, you don't feel that guilty because it's evidently less I know, calories. but if you're not going to get a lot of calories, you shouldn't have to pay $19. Are you a beer drinker? 
I do. I am. A, yeah, I do. Really? I love beer. So if I, ah, you like beer? No, I know. that just reminded me of it when it came out when I said it. Um, yeah, I do. I love Cocktails, beer. Cocktails, $21. Devil's Purse uh, is my favorite beer. What's yours? Uh, Corona. Mm-hmm. Mm. Corona's good. Right. Thank you. Um, I, you know why? Okay. Because, because Snoop Dogg uh, does it, and I do what he does. We, can't, <laughs> we both have very similar backgrounds. You do. And taste some music. Well, that's uh, not surprising. But do you think that this should be Justin Thomas is right to bring this up? Because if you go to a golf, you're not really worried about spending $19 in a beer. Plus, should you be drinking beer at a golf tent? Yeah, I guess you can. Yeah, I mean, doesn't I mean, everyone there to have fun? Really? Have you seen golf? You make any noise, people get mad at you? Unless it's, <laughs> unless it's the you U.S. Open. You can't get boisterous. You can right. just drink quietly. Yeah. All right, so, so that's the one story. I did want to talk about what's going to be on your show. So uh, Brett Bear is going to join me at the top of the hour. We're going to cover continuing election uh, news from overnight. We understand that the counting is going very slowly. Apparently, it's a human resources issue. I'm trying to learn. Oh my gosh, can you? Re- I, I'm trying to figure out um, how long. You know, once the it's postmarked uh, election day, how long they will allow that mail-in ballot to come in, and uh, in, in order to be counted, what's the time frame on that? Because every state has a different time frame on that. Uh, but we're going to see what's going on in Pennsylvania and elsewhere with Brett, and um, we're going to talk to Jack Keen. Uh, we're going to talk to Andy McCarthy because really interesting what's going on at the Durham trial right now uh, with Michael Sussman and the news that we got yesterday during the show that one of the uh, FBI agents who looked it all over said, yeah, there's really not a case here. Um, and they took it away from him and gave it to Peter Strzok. So we know how that went. So uh, we're going to get an update on the trial. Well, that's fascinating. I, I would add this too. the fact is he's going to come in and say, everybody knows I was with the Hillary Clinton campaign, right. even though the text message said, I'm not with anybody. And Jim Baker knows that. And meanwhile, the New York Times had this story, was running with it. They thought the FBI should know what the New York Times yeah, runs. Exactly. Isn't that magnet- magnanimous mm-hmm. of him? Uh, Martha, I enjoyed our time together. I enjoyed our time together too, Brian. Right. And I guess it's coming to an end now. I'll see you next week. Yep. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.